Welcome to the Founders Keepers podcast, interviews that explore stories behind the founders of change-making businesses in social impact, healthcare, and health tech industries, and what makes those founders tick. I'm your host, Dr. Grace Hatton, and this week I'm joined by Jenny Saft, the co-founder of April. April is one of the top fertility benefits providers in the UK and Europe, which operates a SaaS model that helps employers to attract and retain talent while tackling diversity and inclusion in fertility care. April's easy-to-use platform enables companies to support employees on their path to parenthood by offering access to a range of reproductive treatments, including egg and sperm freezing, as well as IVF, adoption, and surrogacy. Company employees looking to benefit from fertility treatments assigned to a concierge service that provides easy access to a personal expert where needed. Jenny has a background in business operations, strategy, and venture capital, and set up April in 2019 with her co-founder, Tobias Kaufold. Since then, they've raised over 4 million euros in funding, count Meta and SoundCloud as clients, and are currently rolling out their solution across 14 European countries. In this episode of Founders Keepers, we talk about Jenny's personal journey with egg freezing that led her to found April, democratizing access to fertility treatment, and faking it till you make it. Let's get started. So Jenny, welcome to the podcast. I'd love if you can tell me about yourself and your journey so far that led you to found April. Well, um, yeah, so I started April together with my co-founder, Toby, um, at the end of 2019, pretty much based on my own egg freezing experience, um, maybe a bit about myself before I dive into deep into that. Um, so I have a business background, um, work very corporate setups, um, but then also worked uh, in startups in San Francisco. I was there for three years. I think that really you know, gave me a little bit of a pulse for like what startup vibe feels like. Um, and yeah, and eventually I moved back to, to Europe and then started working for another kind of fintech company over there. Then they were public. It was really great. I love working there. And so the years went by and suddenly um, I was, uh, it was 2019. I turned 32, no partner. Also didn't see myself with kids anytime soon. And I was like, mm. Uh, I made some money. What am I doing with that? Probably, I probably invested in myself and freeze my eggs and went uh, to my gynecologist, uh, super naively, and said, "Look, I'm ready today. Let's start." And then she looked at me and was like, "Okay, okay, but you, you're aware that uh, you need to find a fertility clinic to do that." And uh, only then I realized uh, I had no clue. I had no clue how it works, what it costs, where to go, um, and that's kind of where my journey started. And did a lot of research and. Um, very quickly became very frustrated because I had actually had no idea like or like it was really hard for me to find like the information I needed and I was also really frustrated with doctors because doctors I mean you're a doctor but like doctors never learn to have a proper sales conversation with you right um and I ended up paying um seven and a half thousand pounds uh pretty much and uh, when you pay so much money it's like you know you buy a car and so you also have a certain expectation towards that service level that was just not there and so um, I started complaining a lot, mostly to my friends. Uh, and at some point, I have a lot of founder friends as well. And at some point, they said, Jenny, stop complaining, do something about it. Um, and yeah, and this is kind of how the idea for April was born. Uh, in April, now that, uh, that we touch on this, so we are a fertility benefits platform, meaning like we help uh, companies um, so they can support their employees with things like egg freezing, sperm freezing, IVF adoption, surrogacies, whatever is needed to, to support someone on their path to parenthood. And when I was reading about April, I've spoken to quite a few founders of fertility-based companies or sort of fertility startups within this space, both targeted at both sexes. And what is it that differentiates um, April from competitors? Is it is it that aspect of this is targeted at businesses to support employees or are there other benefits that you offer as well? 
Um, so we are very, at the moment, are very focused on fertility and family forming. Um, and I think what differentiates us from the market, I mean, A, first of all, this is a fairly new product, right? It's like it comes from pretty much from the U.S. where fertility benefits have always been around. Um, the healthcare system in the U.S. is super bad. That's why employers always had to kind of, you know, take care of that part. And healthcare is like it's an employer-based uh, product, so to say. Uh, and now in Europe, we see like, you know, almost like eight years later, we see like, oh, there's actually a similar behavior happening. Um, our healthcare system in, in Europe is much better, but it also has gaps. Infertility is usually a big gap uh, in in that part, and at the same time, it has such a big impact on on diversity and inclusion. And that, that's why here in Europe, you know, it comes more from the diversity inclusion angle that suddenly employers are kind of realizing, oh, if I you know help my employees with their biggest problems in life, like this also has a super nice impact on on talent attraction and, and retention. And so I think what differentiates us um, is that we are, I mean a European provider. So we are headquartered in Berlin, but uh, I mean, I'm spending also a lot of time in London. I think this is a little bit where our uh, core uh, customers are. Um, is that, And we are kind of not only in the UK or just one country, but we're actually a pan-European provider that sits in Europe. And I think you either have these like big US providers that build their platform for the US. And, you know, some of them say like, oh, we are global, but, you know, they build their platform for the US. Or you have like some maybe one, two competitors in the UK, but they're focused on the UK. And so we said from day one, we, I mean, we offer this all over Europe because we don't, when we talk to, to companies, they don't just have employees in one country. They have employees all over the place, especially after COVID. And so we wanted to cater for that. So can you tell me a little bit about your business model then? And how did you go about getting your first customer based on what you said so far that, you know, most competitors in the US and they have a slightly different structure. So I'm keen to understand how you work in Europe. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because we started the business in the beginning, we were like a B2C company, right? Like my co-founder and I, we, I mean, we don't come, we don't have a medical background. We don't come from that space. So we had to understand what's, you know, what are the, actually the challenges of, of patients and, and uh, people going through these um, treatments and what are the challenges of clinics? Like what's the, what's going on in this whole ecosystem. And then very quickly we realized that, um, you know, the biggest barrier for people so, so, you know, when you go back, we said, look, here, we think or we see that we're getting older and older and we're having kids later and later in life, but our biology is not moving in the same direction. And if you think about that, you know, like the average age at first birth in Europe is already at over 30. And at the same time, starting with 35, it suddenly gets harder to get pregnant naturally. So there's actually like a, it's not so much time left for us as a society. We're almost running towards that wall. And we believe in the long run, the majority of the population will need support with reproductive treatments. And we said, if we know this, why don't we make it more accessible for people to use it? And one thing we learned in our B2C time is that the biggest barriers for people to start treatments, it's like three things. It's a, it's a lack of information. It's a stigma, but the biggest one's actually cost. And so we thought, okay, how can we uh, take out that cost? A barrier out of the equation and you can do like i mean you can either try to make the treatment cheaper and to do that you probably have to open a clinic uh, and try to make it leaner better whatever um or you let someone else pay for it and that's kind of like we went for the for the second approach um and of course seeing that it worked in the us realize okay this can also this can also work in europe um, and so our business model is a, we are offering a platform. It's almost like a software as a service solution, so to say. And companies are pretty much paying for that service for their employees. So it's a fee per employee per month. 
um, for all employees that is paid by the employer and employees have, can then leverage that uh, that that benefit uh, log on on our platform uh, and get like the you know support content one on one consultations access to clinics um, and the reimbursement in case the employer decides uh, to provide a certain budget and you've talked about being based in Europe um do you have plans to expand beyond that? Do you have plans to rival your U.S. competitors? Um, the, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't think U.S. is like the smartest uh, expansion plan for us at this point, um, just because it's already very crowded. You have like some really big players um, that are based there, and they they have a really good idea of what they're doing over there. Um, and for us, it's like I think a big challenge is Europe because Europe, you know, you have. 30 to 40 different countries, depending on how you look at it, like the wider EMEA region. Um, and like every country not only has a different language, but also has a different healthcare system. So what is covered by the government, what's not? Has different regulations, what's even allowed, what's not? I mean, there's still countries in Europe where egg freezing is illegal. Uh, there's still countries where egg donation is illegal. In most European countries, surrogacy is illegal. So it's 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 very complex. You know, if you think about like, and then also like, if you think about a reimbursement aspect, you know, every country also has a different taxation system in place. So it's very very complex to kind of do that for Europe. And I think that's also the reason why a lot of the US providers have not 100% tackled the market yet because it's the unit economics are different, and you need to build the platform very differently. Uh, to make it work. Um, and so for us, I think if we think about, I think first of all, we want to tackle Europe the right way. We want to make it really good. Um, and I think then regions that are probably closer to the European landscape, it's probably more the Asia Pacific area, if you think about that. But like one step at a time, um, we're still small. We're still a small company. And what would you say is the scrappiest thing that you've had to do for the business to date? scrappiest thing i mean you know i mean we're a startup uh, i think fake it till you make it is like <laughs> all we do all the time um and the beautiful thing is also like we are not a medical device or anything right it's like we are uh, like in the middle between the co- the employee and the clinics and the, the service that they're using so like we we don't need to 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 uh, yeah there's no responsibility or medical responsibility on our end. And so I think for us, it was very in the beginning, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, we, we came, we, we decided to build this platform all over Europe uh, with not only egg freezing, but suddenly like also like sperm freezing and IVF and adoption and surrogacy. And we were like eight people. And it's just like, okay, you know, you, you need to start somewhere. And we had like de- different le- levels that we need to build for the knowledge database that we had in the beginning. Because it's also, it doesn't, ex- there's no, you cannot go on any website and say like, oh, here's a download of, of all the clinics that are in Europe. And here's a download of all the healthcare systems that are in Europe. And this is like how it works and, the, and all the regulations, it doesn't exist. So it's like, you had to manually put things together build frameworks and say like okay what is 50 percent uh, that we've achieved what is 70 percent what is like 90 and 100 and define that and kind of step by step build up these d- different layers of, of of knowledge that we had to build um, and it took a while of course um, but now i think we're at a really good place and but we're still learning right we're still learning with the customers that we have um, and it still gets better and that's now also the beautiful thing um, that we with the customers you have on board, you actually become even better. And how many customers do you do you have at the moment? 
So I don't want to. I don't want to say. I don't want to give uh, exact numbers at at this point. Um, it's 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 not a lot. Um, we really focus on uh, the right customers. I think our target group is mo- target group is uh, mostly tech companies. Very often, companies um, U.S. tech companies that already have it in the U.S. and now realize I need to roll it out to their global workforce. Um, uh, you know, some of our com- customers. I think the the one that we're most proud of, uh, for example, is Meta. Um, we're rolling out with them right now in in over 16 countries in in, in Europe. Um, the likes of SoundCloud, uh, I think tech, tech companies. I think that's that's pretty much uh, yeah yeah what, what the, the group of people that or companies that we're working with. And are there any particular standout challenges that you've encountered in building the business so far? Oh wow! Like where to start? I think <laughs> building a business is is a massive challenge in itself. I think it's always you're always understaffed, underfunded, um, and you need to grow at the same time. Um, I think on all levels, I think what's a challenge, I think for every startup is like also hiring. Uh, and you hear this a lot. Uh, and in the beginning, I was like, yeah, yeah, hiring, we're going to find people. But it, you realize, especially in the beginning, you want to bring on board the people that, you know, reflect your culture, who you are. They are the face of your company and, and they determine so much um, and it's it's very hard to to find that in the beginning, especially when you haven't really, when you're not really able to write down or articulate yourself what it actually is you're looking for. And that, I think this is very often for us the case. Like we just realize while we're in the process that we are probably not hundred percent clear what it is. And then, but again, it's like a learning experience. And I think uh, my co-founder Toby and I we, we fully embrace this learning experience as well. And what does a typical workday look like for you? I appreciate there may not be a typical day, but maybe just point <laughs> out this tends to be what happens in my day as a co-founder. Um, the good thing is, so my co-founder and I, we split the work um, uh, very clearly. So I am in charge of everything that's more like, I always call it like externally facing, like from sales, marketing, investor relations, um, also kind of like member consultations and things like that. Whereas my co-founder is doing everything like product, operations, legal finance, and so on. So my day is mostly, it's a lot of focus on sales, um, building up a bigger sales team right now, mostly in the UK, um, and, and kind of setting up the processes there. Um, you know, also managing our investors. Um, they all have uh, opinions and thoughts on how uh, we should do things. But at the same time, they're also super helpful and, and can just give us really good guidance uh, yeah, bring us together with the right people. But I think right now, I think a big part of what we both do is like interviews. We're interviewing people. We just, you know, raised our seat round earlier this year and we're now growing the team. And so that's kind of like really going back to what I said earlier, like understanding what is it actually that we want and that we don't want. It's also something you just learn when you start interviewing people. Um, and I think this is the biggest, I would say probably 50% of our of our job right now is interviews. And so congratulations on your seed round. What can we expect within the next, say, 12 to 24 months from April? I think we we focus a lot on building up the processes that we also need to go to Series A. Um, and I think that means, you know, you know, bringing on board further customers, bringing on board um, the right people that help us to to scale up the business um, and, you know, also build the processes that are needed. Because in the end, I mean, it's like we are, once you have VC money on board, right? It's like you're in this in this hamster wheel, and you kind of growth is kind of like needs to be part of that of that journey. But that also means you need to set up processes that 
get you there. You need to show that you know if you put more money on in on one hand side, more money comes out on the other. Uh, and while we are like kind of a social, I kind of consider ourselves like a, a little bit of a social business as well. We are also like you know a VC funded business, and we need to grow. And I think this is. Uh, where we put all our energy on uh, right now, really sales, uh, people, and, and and scalable processes. What would you say is personally the biggest contributor to your success? Mm, I think when people talk with us, they realize that it's a very authentic story and that what we try to build is very real. And um, I think people really connect with us. I think we're very very strong with that and i mean it's on, on all levels it's also part of our one of our values is like relationships um because that's kind of like i think that's how sales works for us because people feel that that's kind of how we interact with our employees with partners with our investors um on on all levels i think that's that's yeah who we are as a business and and what we also yeah want to want to continue to be in the, in the long term what are you most optimistic or excited about regarding the future of not just April, but the broader kind of ecosystem of fertility care? I mean, it's what I'm not sure if I should say like what I'm optimistic about, but I think the business can only grow because the problem is growing. Um, and more and more people, as of what I said earlier, I think we were facing a situation where our society, like one of the biggest challenges of our generation is infertility uh, and 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 it's no one's fault it's just like the the evolution of things um but that means we need to provide better access and care uh, for people otherwise it's we're gonna have a big problem i mean there's there's you know on, on so many different levels um there's also data um it's from germany but it's it's actually i, I would say it applies to all over europe Um there's data that says that uh you know people or kind of people with an academic background are affected the most from infertility um so women with an academic background or 50% of women with an academic background do not have kids at age 35 and half of them stay childless mostly unwanted and that's a big problem right and it's like it's 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 kind of that first curve that we that we see there but it's like it's also for the entire uh, society this is what we're going to face if the development continues like that and i think this is why i believe and and again and then you see like these super expensive treatments no, no one can afford it um, and so it's like having a solution in place and giving more people access. I think that makes it super optimistic for me. And also, if you think about how it started in the US, right? It's a very fertility benefits in the beginning when they when they get implemented. It's a very I would say elite solution because it's mostly implemented. Starts usually with tech companies. If you if you think about uh, the US, 2014, Sheryl Sandberg announced that they're going to do it at at Facebook. And then suddenly all the other companies, the Amazons and PayPals and Ebays and so on followed. A few years later, also the banks, the consulting firms, the law firms. And today you have announcement that, you know, Walgreen or Target, like is the supermarket chains are implementing this. That also means that a completely new um, layer of employees has access to these benefits, to these benefits and, and can, uh, yeah, you know, start their family journeys, which I think is super exciting. And if we see, if you see this, the same kind of development in Europe for the next 10 years, I think that's super exciting. And if you were to start all over again, is there anything you'd do differently? Oh, that is a tough question. Um, because in a way, it's like it's all part of the, the learning curve. Um, I think the good thing is if I would have to start it again, I probably also already have a, a little bit of a name and a little bit of standing. I think the hard part of being a first-time founder is that you know, really start from scratch. You don't have a network. You don't, you know, you, you have, don't have any proof points. 
um, the nice thing is, I think if you start again, people know you, you know, like where to ask for funding first, how to tell your story, you know, bringing in the right people very early, also bringing in more senior people a bit more early as well. Um, I think this is, uh, but I, I also, I talk to a lot of people and in a way people make other mistakes then. Uh, and that's also okay. I think making mistakes is super normal and it's okay. And it should be embraced as well. And lastly, what other advice would you give to any would-be business founders wanting to do something similar or just in general? I mean, do it. Um, if you feel, if you have the feeling you have to, you want to do it, then do it. Um, I think the only thing I always tell people is that, you know, having a company is not always super cool. Um, people start, like tend to romanticize being a founder. And I don't know why, because it's not fun. It's like, it's very demanding. It's, it's draining. It's, you know, people say like, it sometimes is a bit lonely being a founder. It's just because it's like, it's all your attention is like on this, like your, your mental capacity is like all everything. And sometimes, you know, you know, you, you don't spend time with your friends anymore because you're so like focused on this one thing. And you also need a break on the weekends. Like, I'm like, I just need to sleep a lot of time. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how people do it when they have kids and have a company because it's crazy. And I admire these people even more, but it's, it's just, uh, it's an intense thing. And the question is just for yourself. You need to make a decision what's important to you. If it's very important to you to, to, you know, have a family, spend a lot of time with them, have an, a hobby that takes a lot of time. I'm not sure if that starting a company is the right thing, but if you have that driven person that also, you know, it takes a lot of like, uh, energy out of like doing this one thing totally do it i'm part of that the second part of people so. i hope you've enjoyed this episode of founders keepers and if you have please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review on whatever listening platform you are using be sure to tune in next time for another founder story mm-hmm.